Under the legal terms of the physician-patient relationship in the United States, physicians owe patients various duties, such as adhering to standards of care and obtaining informed consent. But much of the physician-patient relationship is not legally regulated. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Arthur Dursey, Director of the Center for Bioethics and Medical Humanities and a Professor of Bioethics and Emergency Medicine at the Medical College of Wisconsin. As part of the journal's series on the fundamentals of health law, Dr. Dursey has written a perspective article about the physician-patient relationship. Dr. Dursey, could you start by describing the history of the concept of physician-patient relationships? What are the terms under which these relationships can be formed or terminated? Well, the doctor-patient relationship goes back, as you know, millennia. Ancient practitioners defined the relationship pretty paternalistically because, of course, the practitioners were those who were knowledgeable, who had taken the oath and had the expertise to be able to provide to the patient what they needed. And in general, the patient was a passive recipient of the interactions between the doctor and patient. In the medieval period, deception was seen to be a good thing because no reason to get the patient disturbed about dire diagnoses they might have, instead uh, put their mind at ease. So there wasn't even a requirement of honesty in the relationship, but there was a dedication to acting toward the good of the patient, beneficence, that goes back to the Hippocratic Oath era, and also a duty of confidentiality of the individual facts of the patient and to keep things confidential, which ought to be. So those were already fairly well established. The doctor-patient relationship legally was defined by societal laws and regulations that go back to the Code of Hammurabi. So doctors who malpracticed could be liable for damages. And that was true over the millennia, true in English common law. And that was also something that became true in American law as well. So that ability to litigate and ask for redress was something that was part of the relationship. But the more recent characteristics of the doctor-patient relationship were defined in part by the law because the requirement of consent, which was something that was actually not legally required, was established in a case called Schlondorf, which said that any physician who does an operation on a patient without their consent is liable for battery, nowadays liable for malpractice. It's been adopted by malpractice law, but this was the first exemplar in American law of the requirement that something that's beneficial to a patient and that physicians might agree should and could be done still needed the consent of the patient. And then it was further delineated over benchmark cases to say not only must the consent be present, but it needs to be informed with respect to risks and later alternatives and what the effect of not treating would be. And even the standard for that information, which was once uniformly whatever the physician decided to disclose, has become in a number of jurisdictions in the United States, not with the professional practices, but what a reasonable patient or an objective patient would want to know. So you write in your article that today the physician-patient relationship may be more fraught than ever. So how have medical technology and societal changes led to a rebalancing of that relationship? 
Yes, I do think that we're at a particularly important time in the doctor-patient relationship. And I think the fraughtness or the stresses on the doctor-patient relationship are coming from two sources today, mainly. The first source is one in which patients have been empowered, which is in general a good thing, but with our particular age of misinformation, politicalization, stratification of ideas, that expertise of physicians is being undermined and misinformation can have patients and their families asking for things that are ineffective, things that are not going to help the patient, things that prolong the dying process, things that individuals think might be beneficial, but in fact have been proven not to be. So that's one of the very contentious areas. And on the one hand, patient empowerment was important in the days when physicians did not give any credence to what patients felt or thought because, of course, they were the experts. Now, the very basis of physician expertise is being challenged. And I have to say, being challenged not on a scientific basis, but being challenged on a social basis. So I think that's one area of challenge. The other area of challenge, of course, is one by the corporatization and consolidation, the granular measurement, the regulation by corporations themselves rather than by law of the doctor-patient relationship such that the physician doesn't necessarily need to keep the patient's best interest in mind. I mean, I think that they do because of their duties and their relationships, but there's this other pressure to maximize, to maximize profits, quite frankly, given that some physician practices are being bought by private equity firms whose very essence is to maximize profit under the circumstances. So that's something that has been challenged before in the doctor-patient relationship when doctors purchased CT scanners and were able to charge for interventions. This is another level completely in that the purpose for these particular entities is profit-making, is to squeeze out the most money for the input as possible. And that's incompatible, I think, ultimately with the doctor-patient relationship. Also, I think most physicians would tell you that they spend so much more time documenting their encounters with patients rather than in communication with patients. And the purpose of that documentation, one would think, is completeness and medical legal protection, perhaps. But in fact, its fundamental reason is to be able to monetize and to unitize interactions with patients and, quite frankly, to make sure that those units and the monetization is maximized as well. And physicians will tell you that they have less time to spend with patients for the very fundamental aspects of communication, checking understanding, displaying empathy connecting with patients, the kinds of things that take time, effort, and listening. And those are also another source of the challenge. So two challenges, really. One, the misinformation and the misunderstanding and the deprofessionalization of the profession. And secondly, of course, the corporatization and regulation in a way that's not to benefit patients, but to maximize efficiency Arguably, some of this is to help with quality improvement, and certainly I wouldn't quibble with that, but a lot of it is about 
money, unfortunately, and the consolidation of healthcare systems has always been sold as something that is going to be cost beneficial for the system. And of course, we know that our healthcare costs have increased despite consolidation of healthcare systems. So that has not been the benefit or the solve from that. So I think that has been another driver of the corporate burden at the same time that individual patients are accessing information through social media that are, quite frankly, wrong. So given all of that, finally, how should physicians navigate these legal and societal changes in the expectations surrounding their interactions with patients while still forming meaningful relationships with those patients? That is our challenge, no question about it. And there's not an easy answer to that, quite frankly because those forces are powerful. Obviously, counteracting the misinformation, especially through establishing trust, establishing that relationship, connection, human relationships, that's something that is one way of counteracting that particular thrust. With respect to the corporatization issues, there has to be preservation for time and communication between doctor and patient. Emails back and forth and chart notes are not going to take the place of connection, understanding by patients, both of the medical information that's being given and of the caring that you have toward patients. No question that, you know, Francis Peabody's statement that the secret of the care of the patient is caring for the patient is absolutely essential, but there's not a legal correlate to that. Competent treatment is legally required, but Caring for the patient is not, and there's nothing more undermining of the doctor-patient relationship than patients saying, yeah, they seem to be competent, but they just didn't spend time and really didn't seem to take the effort to really care about what I was telling them. That, I think, is where the key is, but I do think that there needs to be efforts to stop the compression of the time that doctor and patient have together, and also to combat the misinformation, which is spread, unfortunately, all too easily in the modern milieu. Thank you, Dr. Dursey.